part three of our series, Fresh Start. And I probably shouldn't start the message like this, but I'm going to tell you that a week and a half ago, I had to go to Texas. And it's been three days in the Texas open country. It's just outside of Austin. It was a ranch. I was there for a conference. Conference. Um, but it was a wide open space. I can make you hate me right now just by telling you what the weather was like. I'm not that kind of guy. I want to um, connect with you, and I want you to, to like feel like we're the same. And so I'm going to tell you all the bad things about my trip. And I'll, I'll let you appropriately insert, ah, as you see fit. Okay? So just putting it out there. So I had to go to Texas for a conference. So the first, there's three bad things. First bad thing was I had a layover on the way there and on the way back. I know. (laughs) You're good at that. Second thing is, um, while I was there, there were moments when it was moderately breezy and it messed up my hair. I know, I know. Now, here's the really bad thing. Um, I had to come back, and it was late at night. Not late. It was about 8 o'clock at night, and so I had parked at at the airport. So the shuttle brings me back to my car. And I noticed that there's a good quarter inch to a half inch of ice on my windshield waiting for me. And I'm like, no big deal. I'm pretty sure I have my ice scraper in there. No ice scraper. There, yeah. So it's about 8 o'clock at night. My, I want to go home and see my wife. My kids are waiting up for me. Normally their, their bedtime is 8 o'clock, and so I'm like, I really want to get home. I start the car, and it's, you know, car's warming up. It's going to take forever. And so I'm like, come on, I need to think outside the box here. There's got to be another way to get the ice off the windshield. And so I'm like, i got to think like MacGyver, okay? So I start looking around, and in my glove box, or in my uh, compartment next to me, I notice a few pieces of very archaic technology called compact discs. <laughs> and I don't know how they got there. I, I must have mindlessly put them in this car when I bought it a few years ago. And so anyway, I, f- I see a few compact discs in there, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to try it. Because I didn't want to use a credit card. I didn't want to ruin my credit card. And so I found a few compact discs in my car, and I started to scrape off the ice and stuff. And so my first choice was an old Metallica CD. <laughs> Some of you are... Th- I know. It was a burned disc, so it wasn't like an original. (laughs) But I know even right now, some of you are like, what was he thinking? (laughs) Didn't last too long, so I went on to to Plan B. This was actually an MP3 mix that I made in about 2004. And it had all these great MP3s on it. Like, Actually, there was like a group of like Bill Cosby comedy. And I'm like, well, okay, I'll get rid of that one. So I go on to that one, and so number two was gone. And then I go on to number three, and you're totally going to judge me for this. I probably shouldn't show this to you. This is um, the Aerosmith crazy single. (laughs) And this is one I ended with. It's it's in pretty good condition. I just lost a little bit on the edge here. I don't know if it'll play. I haven't even checked yet. But all of that, I did spare sticks, okay? I did not (laughs) go to sticks. This is a good CD. I did not want to ruin it. And I know as I went through some of them, like the Metallica, some of you are like, oh my goodness, what was he thinking? Well, here's what I was thinking. I was thinking, I want to get home. <laughs> I want to be with my kids. And it doesn't matter if I have to burn a couple of CDs to, to, in, order to, in order to get there. So, so there, now we connected. Now, now like, it totally we're connected, right? Um, that's what we're kind of talking about in this series, Fresh Start. Well, how do we kind of chisel away at the things that have been accumulating in our past? See what I did there? 
How do we chisel away at those things just to find a fresh start? Like, what does it take to get there? And um, if you missed parts one and two, I really encourage you to go back to our website, BethlehemLakeville.org, and uh, check them out. Uh, but part one, the whole premise was, you know what? Some of us have a lot of things in our past, but here's what's true of you. Here's what's true of you. No matter what is in your past, a fresh start is possible. Things might not be the same as they used to, but a fresh start is still possible because of who Jesus is and what he's done. And then last week we said if you really want a healthy start to your fresh start, you can't just blame your way into a fresh start. You can blame your way out of a bad year, right? You can blame other people and blame them, blame them. But if you want to get into a fresh start, you have to own your peace of the past. And only Jesus gives you peace as you do that. And so what we want to do this week in part three of part four, of four parts, part three of four parts, we want to pause and say that, just make an observation here, that I believe many of you, of you are experts at moving past the past. Some of you have this figured out, and you do it several times a day. <laughs> you move past the past. The problem is we have a trouble of staying past the past. Here's the first big idea. If you want to take notes, this is number one on your sheet. Just because you move past the past doesn't guarantee that you, will re- doesn't guarantee that you won't return to it. You see, this time last year, you were like, oh yeah, I got this diet thing figured out. No more carbs. Carbs are the enemy. And so you went through it for a good three, four weeks. And you moved past the past. But then in February, you returned to it. Um, This is true of us financially. Some of you had financial goals last year, and you wrote them down, and then you ended up erasing them or scribbling them out and changing them and changing them, and you said, well, life happens, and you kind of moved back to the past when all was said and done. Just because you move past the past doesn't mean you won't return to it. And here's here's why. Solomon is going to illustrate this in my favorite Bible passage of the Bible. So if you're going to make a plaque for me someday and put a Bible passage on it so I can put it in my office, this is what I want you to put on it. Proverbs 26, 11. <laughs> As a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. That was a joke. It's not my favorite. <laughs> John three sixteen or something. As a dog, I'm just curious, a dog returns to his vomit. How many of you have actually witnessed this happen? Like a dog vomited, and you know what it means by return to, right? It's not like the dog lingers around its vomit, like, hey, pretty cool, look what I did. The dog consumes it again. And I have to be careful. I know some of you have a gag reflex. I don't want to get too deep into this. But the other thing about this is that a dog doesn't just return to its vomit. I've, I've seen this, maybe you've seen this too, but once the vomit goes all the way through and out the other end, sometimes the dog even returns to that. And the gross thing is, then it gives you a big kiss on the face, which tells me that a dog views my face just like vomit or the other thing. But anyway, the, the thing is, I've read some, some research, well, why do dogs do that? And they've got ideas. You can Google it. But here's the the main point. A dog returns to its vomit because it thinks that's the right thing to do. I don't know if it enjoys it, but it it thinks it's the right thing to do, and so that's what the dog does. And Solomon says, that's what fools do. A fool will go back to their folly. A fool can get past the past, but a fool will return to it. The thing about a fool is they're not thinking right. They think that what they're doing is right or justified. 
But Solomon says, you're just going to go back to where it all started. So here's how I put it. You see, if, if you really want to get past the past, you're just going to keep doing what you've been doing if you keep thinking what you've been thinking. Or if you want to take notes, we're, we're going to breeze through the first two fill-ins, then we're going to stretch out the third one a little bit. If you think how you've been thinking, you're just going to keep doing what you've been doing. The, the true power to change and move past the past is to actually change your mind, change the way you think about it. And whether it's a behavioral thing, if you're saying, I need to change the way I react to certain situations, or, or maybe it's, it's, it's a, a chemical thing, a, a substance abuse kind of thing, you need to change the way you think about it. Otherwise, if you keep thinking the way you've been thinking, you'll just keep doing the things you've been doing. So, you want to move past the past and stay past the past, you need to change your mind, which is really easy to say. I wish I could just say amen and send you home. This is going to get complicated. But the good news, the good news, is that the God of fresh starts doesn't just want you to go in this cycle of getting past the past and then returning to it. The God of fresh starts wants to empower you to stay in your fresh start and move forward in it. And so he gives us such wisdom and guidance that we're able to do that. Um, as, as we seek for an answer to this today, how to change our mind to keep the past in the past and to move forward in a healthy way, we're going to open up a section of the New Testament written in about the first century, uh, written by a guy named the Apostle Paul. And I just have to tell you, Paul knew all about this. He himself experienced an extraordinary fresh start where he had a complete, a complete change of mind and change of worldview. At one time, his old way of thinking was that he was serving God by arresting Christians and trying to have them killed. And now in his new life, he, he's the exact opposite. He's planting churches throughout Asia Minor, and he's spreading the, the gospel of Jesus throughout the world. The Apostle Paul underwent this tremendous fresh start, and he moved past the past. But more than that, as he went out and planted these churches, he was basically a coach for people in the first century to move past the past and stay in their fresh start. In fact, if you look at any of the letters he wrote in the New Testament, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, all these fancy-sounding names, you'll see that almost all the letters were because Paul knew in a specific area where these Christians needed a fresh start. And maybe they had moved past the past when he was with them, but now he needs to say, well, don't return to it. And so we're going to look at a specific section from uh, his letter to the Romans, Christians in Rome. And we're going to look at a section in chapter 12. So he's, he's already been writing for a really long time. But here's what chapter 12 is about. Like if you want to read an awkward chapter in the Bible, go home this week and read Romans chapter 12 because Paul is basically going through this laundry list of things that these Christians should be doing but aren't. It's like he's humiliating them in a letter. Why are you doing this? You need to be hospitable with one another. Don't you know that you have a God of peace? Why are you doing this? Don't do this. Do that. Do that. And he goes through this list of things about how they should have a fresh start in many different ways. But here's the point. At the beginning of chapter 12, he shows them how they can have this change of mind so that all those things are possible. Because God isn't interested in just moving you past the past. He wants to make sure that you don't 
return to it. So here's what Paul said to the Romans, chapter 12 in that letter. He said, therefore, I urge you, this is important, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, I urge you. So, so this is good news for some of you. If you're not a Christian, this part isn't for you. Paul is just talking to brothers and sisters who know about God's mercy. He's just talking about people who want to follow Jesus, which means if you consider yourself a Christian, a follower of Jesus, you need to pay attention because this is for you. He's going to give you some instruction here. But before we move on, this all hinges on this last phrase here. In view of God's mercy. Everything I'm about to write to you or say to you or, or urge you to do is in view of God's mercy. In view of the fact that God is so merciful with us that he would forgive us day after day after day, that his mercies aren't just new once a year, but every morning. This God who loved you so much, he gave his son in view of that gift, here's what you need to do. You gotta be nervous. <laughs> oh my goodness. God, in view of God's mercy, what, what's expected of me? Here's, here's what Paul says. I urge you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This isn't just a one-time come to this uh, temple or a tabernacle or synagogue or church, whatever it is. You don't need to come once and dedicate your life in some way. Paul says, no, your life is an ongoing living sacrifice to your God who had extraordinary mercy for you. Your, life is a, your body is a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true act of worship. So Paul would say, what we're doing in this room right now, yes, this is praise, this is worship, but your true act of worship that God is most interested in is what happens seven days a week. You're a living sacrifice to God. And that makes sense, right? The God who had such mercy on you, who redeemed you through the blood of his Son, doesn't it just make sense to honor him then with everything you have and everything you are? This is your spiritual act of worship. This is your true act of worship. Now, maybe Paul paused at the end of this sentence and he says, wow, that's kind of nebulous. That's like a big thing to ask. So he gets right into an application. He says, if you want this to be true of you, where your, your life is just an, an ongoing offering to God, then this is how you get there. Verse 2 starts with what we can't do. You cannot conform yourself to the patterns of this world. You can't get in this mindset where your idea of a sacrifice to God is, is built on this world's uh, patterns. And you, you know what conform means. Um, conform is, is that gingerbread man stamp. And, you, you know, you go through the, the, the dough and everything, and you can make different eyes on all of them and different colors, but we all know he's the same gingerbread man, right? Might look different on the outside, but he's exactly the same on the inside. Paul says, don't do that. Don't take this worldly idea of what you should be and what you could be and just go ahead and stamp your life with that. You don't want no gingerbread man. We don't want you to conform. Well, then what's the alternative? Like, Paul, do you have this amazing idea for us? Like, how can we possibly reorder our lives completely void of anything from this world? And here's what he says. Don't conform, be transformed by the, by the renewing of your mind. Don't, don't be a gingerbread man. Be, be optimist prime. Be bumblebee. Be a transformer, not a conformer. And, 
And as he goes through this, like, this is a big thing to say, but transform means that you change the very essence. It's not that you change yourself on the outside. You change the very essence of something. And he even explains what he means. He says, this isn't some crazy rocket science thing. All it means is you renew your mind. Because if you keep thinking what you've been thinking, you'll just keep doing what you've been doing. But if you want to be a living sacrifice for God, you need to change the way you're thinking. Renewing is a process where you take off the old and you put on something new. And sometimes it takes a lot of time. Renewing your mind will not happen in the 30 minutes I'm talking today. Renewing your mind is a process. It takes time. Um, I I had some experience with renewing things um, for a while. When my summer job... Uh, going through high school, college, I worked for a company that basically took in old hospital equipment, such as uh, beds and surgical lights and basically anything big. We would bring them in, refurbish them, repaint them, and then sell them again. And by the time we were done with them, they were literally better than new, better than the, the factory could even spit out. But the thing is, we had to take those things in. They had dents. They had rust. All these things. We had to sand them down. We had to take off the old, take off the old, and prime them over, sand them again, paint over it, sand it again, paint over it. It was a process of renewal that we had to go through for each piece of equipment that went through. Now, I'll never forget my first day there. This will gross some of you out. So my first day there, there was this, this certain bed. By the way, if you've ever been to a hospital, all the beds are made by the same company, Hillrom. You look at the bed, it says Hillrom on it. I don't know why, but they make all of them. Anyway, they had this one bed in particular that was going to ship out that day, and they said, hey, you're the new guy. Why don't you just go over this with some Windex? And you know, it's, it's pretty much done. Just make sure it's all clean and tidy. And so they hand me a rag. They hand me some Windex, and, and they send me to this bed. It was a, a Hillrom Affinity 2 model. And you have no idea what that means. I didn't have any idea what that meant either. But here was a picture of what this bed looked like. And I saw it. I'm like, this looks like a torture device. (laughs) And some of you who know it understand that what happens in this chair is torture. But I didn't know that. Like, I had no idea what that chair was for, what this table was for. So I start cleaning it. And the guy says, oh, by the way, to really get it clean, sometimes you need to take off some of these little plates and covers that are on it. And so um, one of the things in particular is at the bottom of this bed, next picture, you can see that there's these little caps over the wheels. And so they said, take a screwdriver, take off that cap, clean out underneath it, get it real nice and shiny because that's what we do. So I take off the cap and there's this gunk in there. So I take the Windex and my rag, it doesn't come off. So I take some more Windex and the rag, it doesn't come off. So I'm like, what is going on? So I take my fingernail, and I start scraping off this crud that's underneath this thing. And and then the guy walks in, and he sees what I'm doing, and he's like, you might not want to do that. And I said, why? He said, this is an Affinity 2 bed. And I'm like, so? (laughs) He's like, this is a birthing bed. And I said, so? <laughs> I was 16 or 17. I had no idea. And he's just like, you might not want to do that. And I'll tell you, I didn't really get it until several years later when I was married. My wife sat in an Affinity 3 bed, and I understood what happens when a woman gives labor to a child and, and gives birth in the bed. Um, the point being this, the point being this. <laughs> I 
stole my thunder. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh, the point being this. That was a disgusting thing, and I learned a lesson that day. But when it comes to us, there's this part of us that we would rather leave that cover on to. We'd rather leave that plate on because we, we're afraid of what disgusting thing is going to be underneath it. And it, it, it plays a part with our past. We all ask this question at different times. There's a certain question that always pops up when it comes to our past. And, and we ask this question all the time, but we rarely, rarely, if ever, pause long enough to answer this question. And the reason I believe we don't answer this question is because it's kind of like the cap over the wheel. We don't want to take it off and see what's underneath. Well, the question is simply this. What was I thinking? You know, you think back to, to that one night of whatever you did, and you're like, oh, that was a disaster. What was I thinking? Then you, you just quickly move on. You don't want to pause there and actually figure it out. You just ask the question, what was I thinking? And then you move on. Certain times in life, we look at our past, and, and we just sort of gloss over little chapters or different incidents here and there, and we think the question, well, what was I thinking? But I'll tell you what, if we would just pause and answer that question, and deal with the crud we see, our fresh starts would be so much easier. But here's what you're going to find. If you look to your past, and there's that place in your past that you'd rather not address, but you take off the cap, you ask the question, what was I thinking? Here's what you're going to find. The answer is, I was absolutely selfish. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking I'm more important than everybody else in this world. That's what I was thinking. What was I thinking that night? That night I was thinking that she looked really, really good and I should have whatever I want. That's what I was thinking. That's disgusting. What was I thinking? I was thinking with nothing but greed. I was thinking that my short-term gain was much more important than their long-term well-being. Man, if you pause at this question to address the gunk underneath, you're not going to want to stay there very long. But I'll tell you, if you can at least address what you were thinking when you did that, now you're in a place where you can change your mind. That's a place where God can bring transformation. But the thing is, you can't stop at this question. You see, if we just stop at this question and say, well, what was I thinking? You're going to go down into a pit where there's not going to be a lot of room to breathe. And so we have to go on to the next part of this question. Once you've had enough of you, and once you've seen the crud underneath your mind, you have to go on to a different question. What was God thinking? If you were here last week, well, with the whole Adam and Eve thing, what was God thinking when he came to Adam and Eve after they brought sin and death into this world? Specifically, what was he thinking when he warned Adam and Eve about all the pain and suffering? And by the way, he even mentioned birthing tables and beds and stuff. What, what was he thinking when he warned them about all the pain and suffering when he himself knew that he would enter into it? What was God thinking when, with extraordinary patience, he went through generation after generation after generation of people who promised God their best and said, God, here's my fresh start for you, but then they kept going back to their past? What was God thinking that day he sent the angel Gabriel, hey, go tell that woman down there. 
She's going to have a baby, and he'll be called Son of the Most High. What was God thinking when his son walked up a hill just outside Jerusalem with a cross on his back? What was God thinking when his own son died? See, what God was thinking is so different than what we would think. If, if I were there in the garden and I was addressing Adam and Eve, I'd say, sorry, you blew it, done. I'm going to have a fresh start with a new creation. You ruined it. If people, after if generation after generation, would come up to me and say, hey, I'll promise you my best, but then they go back on it and they don't do it, I would say, sorry, you blew it. No more chances for you. If it was my place to come into a creation that despised me, I would not come in the form of a baby. But you see, God thinks differently than we do. What was God thinking at any given point is one thing. He was thinking about you. When he addressed Adam and Eve in creation, well, why didn't he just destroy everything and get rid of suffering forever? forever? You know what? Because God would be willing to enter that suffering so that he could redeem what he loved most about creation before destroying it. You. What was God thinking when he did not even spare his own son? What was he thinking when he sent the thing he loved the most in this world, knowing it would destroy him? God was thinking about love. He was thinking about you. And when you start to think about that, that's why Paul said, don't conform to the way this world thinks. That's not going to be good enough. Set your mind on something higher. Here's the next villain. Knowing what God was thinking has the power to transform the way you think. Because finally you see a model, you see a form, you see, you see something here that completely defies everything that this world has programmed you to think. There is a way that starts with God, and there is a way that's defined by love, by loving him, by loving other people. And and I'll tell you what, when your mind is transformed by that kind of thinking, it has an impact in your life. So much so that we're going to finish up these last two verses real quick. The end of verse 2 and verse 3 in Romans chapter 12 gives you a sneak preview of what happens to your life, to your actions, to, to, to everything when you have a change of mind. This is one amazing thing. If you're a follower of Jesus and, and you, you focused on honoring him, this is just completely amazing. When your mind is transformed, by the re, when your mind is renewed, then you will be able, get this, to test and approve what God's will is. His good, gracious, perfect, pleasing will. You will have insight into the heart and mind of God. Because you will be transformed, no longer seeing things from a worldly perspective, but from a perspective where God loves you and everyone else. This is just amazing. If, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is something you should chase after with every ounce of your being. And it begins by a renewing of your mind. Off with the old way of thinking and in with the new. Thinking like God thinks. And then verse 3, this is a personal touch. He says, for by the grace given to me, so Paul says, I don't deserve to lecture you about this, but because God has been so gracious to me, I say to every one of you, don't think, don't think of yourself too highly. In other words, what he's saying is your pleasures, your desires, your thoughts, everything that comes from you, 
Okay, don't think of it too highly, though. He goes on to say, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Or another way to, to translate that, just clear-mindedness. Don't let anything distract you. Don't let anything get in the way. Think of yourself clearly. In accordance, and this is important, in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. See, God started a relationship with you by faith. And now that's the most important thing. As you think about the things in your mind, as you want to have a change of mind, don't start with what you want. Don't start with what the world is trying to conform you to. When you're renewed in your mind, it starts with your relationship with God. And that brings me to one concluding thought, one little application for the very end here. You have an audience of one. And I believe this is where, when we get this wrong, that's when we start conforming to other places. This is when we start to get old rather than renewed. When we remember that we don't have to please everybody out there, that it's not our place to please people. It's our place to honor the one, the audience of one who has made a relationship with us. And I'll tell you what, there is such power in releasing yourself from the, the standards of this world, no longer conforming <laughs> To these, to these obligations that we might believe we have, and simply turning your mind to focus on the one to whom you have an audience. That's where it begins. That's where it begins. Uh, I hope you can join us again next week as uh, we're going to dive into part three, part four, last part of the series. Um, last week, if you felt like there were some things in your past that you couldn't take responsibility for, other people are to blame, and you might be thinking, well, how do, I, how do I navigate that? Next week, we'll address that as far as how to release the things that you had no power or control over, and uh, we'll find some peace in that. In the meantime, let us, let's wrap up uh, this message with a prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we, we instinctively know that when it comes to, to making a change or finding a fresh start, it, it doesn't come with discipline. It doesn't come with rededication. It really all starts in the heart and in the mind. And Father, you know the scary things inside all of us. You know the scary answer to our question, what was I thinking? And you know all the, the nastiness that lies underneath. But I thank you that we don't stop there, that the bigger question, the better question we end with is what you were thinking and what you think about us because of what Jesus has done and, and the, the, the forgiveness we have through him. And so my prayer is that as, as uh, we, we continue to want to honor you, glorify you in our lives, that you would simply have our minds focus on you. That we would be satisfied to let all the, the, the noise, all the, the busyness of this world fade away as we simply put our minds and hearts on you, our Father who loves us so much. I ask all these things, Father, in the name of your Son, our Savior, as we now also join to pray the prayer he taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. But lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We'll have an opportunity.